0: Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear, episode two hundred and seventy-four. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Brian says, "Hey Phil, thoughts on the Guthrie Govan Charvel Tremolo?" Let's take a look at that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Floyd now, right? It's a, and um, not pulling up the guitar, so you know I'm pulling up the actual bridge because uh, I want to know the name of it. It's a Floyd Rose, non fine tuner tremolo. I was swore it was called a junior. And if you guys are looking at this, you can tell that it's a Floyd Rose, obviously it says Floyd Rose, but you can see it doesn't have the fine tuners. I've been seriously like enthralled with it. I just want that bridge. So I saw a video a while back with Pete Thorne and he had that bridge on his sur guitar. One of the things that I love, and I've said this before, Pete and Tim uh, Pierce did a video once where they talked about how tremolos feel or vibrato systems feel. And uh, I love the way the Floyd feels but I don't necessarily love the locking system all the time because sometimes I want to detune and change the tuning on my guitar. And so that bridge really appealed to me. And here's what's interesting. I've mentioned once before I have a Kramer curse. I actually probably have more so is that bridge of a curse over the years of companies reaching out and saying, Hey, we want to do a custom build. I'm guessing, but I think I'm pretty sure I'm right. I think I've had 12 companies since I've been on YouTube, 12 companies, or maybe a little bit more have reached out to me and say, let's do a custom build. And of those, I think only one company has ever done the build which is the halo behind me this one whether it was just they were gonna like gift it to the channel and then i was gonna do all the content or i was gonna pay for it it just seems like they never would it just never works out they never make it so in that reason why i tell you that is i've had two different companies specifically i go i want that bridge in the guitar because i thought oh it'll be the first time i get the demo of that bridge it never happens, so I just have to come across one. Somebody was saying Pete uses the uh, locking Wilkinson bridge. He does on his model, but he has some serves with this bridge on there. Like I said, you have to go through his catalog. I talked to him about it when we were at Sweetwater together just recently, and I was telling him how much I like that bridge, and he was saying he likes it because again, it feels like the Floyd Rose, but it doesn't have the locking system. So the question was, what do I think of it? It looks cool as hell. I think in theory it's great. I just I don't have the Guthrie Govan guitar in my crosshairs right now to buy. You know, like I said, I thought, oh, I'll just put. It a guitar i'm going to order and i don't have an official policy on this but i think we're going to make like an official we don't do custom guitar builds on the channel anymore because it seems to always go strange i like that word we'll just stay strange we have a lot of theories why we think the builds never end up happening but uh i think curse is fine there's a, <laughs> you can have a Kramer curse you can have a custom guitar curse and we'll just go with that I just saw a comment. Somebody was asking about the Dean guitar thing that came up too this week. We'll talk about that. It's a little bit of a news thing. So of course, you know, uh, Dean lost the case with Gibson and now they got the, they can't make the V and the other guitar and there's all that. But what really came up also, which is a big deal. I'm just going to share it with you. I share it with my patrons this week. Uh, the CEO, Evan uh, Robinson, was being sued by his mother because he was allegedly embezzling $420,000. And then of course he's no longer CEO. Well, this says, I don't know if it said it's he stepped down and said he's no longer CEO of the company. Man, I just feel like Dean is plagued with problems. I mean obviously not all of them are their fault. Um and keep in mind you have to separate this person who is doing a thing and the company. Okay. So Dean, obviously the company isn't doing anything wrong at this point, their person is being uh, allegedly accused of doing the wrongdoing. And so for this stuff, I always, just like I talk about with the Fender stuff, I feel for always for the employees. People take jobs and they work their asses off. Remember, if you have a job, you're making somebody else rich. There is a give and take in that. and, And I personally, I've always taken this very seriously. I think there's a give and take in this. When somebody works their ass off for you to make you rich, or make you possibly rich. They're trading, hopefully, security, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you don't have security. I tell you guys all day, every t- every day. I've been self employed now for almost eighteen years, longer, almost twenty years. And every day I wake up, and you know, I don't know what the state of my my life is going to be like. And every day, I have I have so many things going on that I have to you know deal with it. However, the exchange of that is, I give up certain things, obviously, but I get certain things. And so, uh, having a job is hopefully to say, hey, look, I'll work my my ass off. But, you know, I want some security and that no one can guarantee that. But there's a difference between the world coming at you, you know, as a company and people in your company, specifically stealing, making poor decisions, you know, and and putting people in a bad way. So I just hate to hear all this stuff. That's a lot of money. It's a half a million dollars. Talk about horrible timing. You have a market slowdown. You have Gibson suing them and winning you have this now. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. I hope it all works out for them. And I hope uh, if he is uh, guilty, you know, he gets punished. And if he's not guilty, uh, I hope I hope him and his mother can recover from this. Somebody said, I, I can imagine being sued by your mother. I can't even comprehend that. I can't comprehend that on either direction. As a father, I can't comprehend having to sue one of my children. And as you know, obviously as a child, as a child of a parent, uh, I can't imagine being sued or suing a parent. I just can't imagine this stuff, you know, and I've been hosed by family members. So, I mean, I've never had the feeling like I'm going to sue them. I just, so I know it can get bad, but I've never, you know, horrible. Let's talk about guitar stuff again. That was kind of guitar stuff. I just knew it was going to come up. So I had it already readied up. Um, a lot of you guys are going to get, to, I know we're going to get a lot of like, can't believe you're stealing from your mom. That seems like, doesn't it seem just, isn't that funny? This is what I was saying about people and why people matter. It's really a CEO stealing from a corporation. And yet we're going to really focus on the mom son dynamic because that's the part. Isn't that the worst part? A half a million dollars. Think about this, you know, down deep down in your heart. Okay. And again, allegedly, you know, deep down in your heart, worse than getting a half a million dollars stolen from you, which none of us can even comprehend having, much less losing. But you could put into scale whatever money that means to you. There's a number that, you know, obviously would feel like that to you. You you know, obviously if you don't have the kind of, you know, some people would be 500 bucks, some people be 5,000, it could be 50,000. Let's just pick those numbers. Those are easy. One of those numbers has the same effect to you. You know, deep down, losing that money is never going to feel as bad as your own child. Doing it to you, you know your own family doing it to you. So, uh, and that's and that's why I said about people. That's the the damage is the people more so than the money. You know, money comes and goes, but people can really cut you to the deep. Yeah, a lot of you guys. I'm gonna echo some of your thoughts. Matt says, "Hey, you're supposed to t- protect your family." Of course, of course. Um, you know, interesting enough. You know, the sad thing is, is uh, his father was such a a well liked person in the industry and it was and was well respected, and you know, and there was a lot of, I've talked about this on the show, uh, way back when Gibson started suing Dean, there was a lot. And I mean, a lot of people in the industry, of course, including myself that thought his father's passing was the reason that Gibson went after Dean at that time, because, you know, you had this strong person that's well-respected. That's really smart in the industry. And, and again, not again, that's all alleged, right? Allegedly. But, there was a belief system that was like, "This is strike while you know, strike while you can." In other words, they saw the the um, the moment in which to go after them, and uh, and I would imagine maybe they knew more than we did because lo- look what's, look where they're at now. And then Evan says, "Are you assuming his guilt?" Well, I said allegedly fifty times, Evan. I don't know how many times I can say allegedly. Crazy times. All right, we're gonna go to the next question. We're gonna go to the next topic. Bernard, I love you, Bernard. I knew this one was gonna. I had this in my pocket. is a great question for a great subject. It says, "Hey, Phil, what concert experience stands out as one uh, as one with amazing sound and playing where you walked away with new insight on how to approach your instrument and or gear?" That's a fantastic question because he's not asking what's my favorite concert or who's my favorite band. He's talking about an experience that basically was life changing. I'm gonna say life changing in the idea of what I learned about my instrument and gear. And there's a couple that stick out in my mind. And one of them is, strangely enough, the band Korn. Um, I've seen Korn like four times. I can't even say I'm a huge fan. I like Korn a lot, but I'm not like a huge fan. But I've seen them because they either were with other bands that I liked or, uh, you know, I saw them right when they first came out in a club. And um, what happened was one of those times, I don't think it was the last time I saw them was the time four, I got to go on a backstage pass. Okay, so I had a backstage pass. It was given to me by a company. This is pre-YouTube days. And um, I got to go hang out and look at their gear. And I was very familiar with it. But like I said, they were using Mesa boogies uh, through Marshall Cabinets, I believe. And one of the things that happened was uh, going through the gear and talking to the tech and stuff. um, What happened was everything was the opposite of what I just instinctively thought. You know, you just think a lots of gain. You know, it's corn, lots of distortion, pickups screaming, just this whole thing. And what you realize it was because they down tune, they actually back off the gain. They don't run a ton of gain. And uh, and and I thought that was really interesting. That was an interesting kind of perspective. And it's taught me something because when I drop, you know, D now. The first thing I'll do sometimes with an amp is I'll back the gain off just a little bit, and I find it just tightens back up. It gets it's not so flubby. Like I said, you don't want the low end. I never thought about it because as a you know as a bass player you think about it. It's instinctively like you don't want to run your bass through a ton of distortion. It's just going to sound like mud. So same thing with lower tunings. As soon as you tune down, you want to kind of back the gain off a little bit. So that uh, that was one. That was one. Uh, I can tell you one of the best bands I've ever heard for sound, of course, is uh, King's X without a doubt, just amazing tonal uh, sound. And what I learned from that was uh, it wasn't their gear, it was how tight they are. That was one of those things where I realized, man, there's just no amount of gear that's going to make you sound as tight as practices. Uh, and I don't even mean being tight uh, you know talented musicians. I've seen musicians that I feel are as talented. Technically, or more technically talented than those guys, right? You know, you know when you think of virtuoso uh, style playing. So I'm not saying that they are, of course, amazing players. I, of course, am a huge Ty taper fan. Uh, Doug Pinnick, of course, amazing. So love them as players, but that's not what makes them sound great, in my opinion. When you're watching live, it's how freaking tight they are. They're just, and they're tight, in not only how they play, but their tones. Their tones are layered correctly. It's 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 a perfect example to me of when musicians t- just take the ego take it right off their head right take the ego out and go okay this tone makes his tone sound better makes this tone sound better I mean Doug's bass and Ty's guitar tones just work like this and they're so perfectly set up and i I've obviously interviewed Doug I've never uh interviewed Ty but I would imagine that there is a compromise there. There's a little bit of like, man, I wish my tone, you know, I'm sure they want to tweak a little bit or make a little louder and do this stuff. And that's what it is. That's what they do that I I thought was amazing was, um, they focus on the sound of the band and that's it. You know, it's being tight, sounding great and layering perfectly. And, uh, that was, that was one that was a, a game changer for me. Another game changer was, as you know, one of my favorite guitar players of all time is Monty Montgomery. Uh, check him out if you haven't heard of him. I always tell everybody, I think he would have been way bigger. It's just everything. I think when you hear his name, you think country. He's not a country artist. He's just probably my favorite guitar player, seriously, of all time. And um, seeing him live. What I love about Monty Montgomery, seeing him live is, talk about a guy who can change up the rig and still sound amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Boutique amp. You know, he'll, I seen him once and he had a, a SWR acoustic amp that was really nice of course his his uh uh Yiri, which is expensive acoustic and uh you know he's running i think he was running a kind of boutique overdrive or something some of the stuff it's so nice and nice gear nothing you know blow you away and then i saw him again i swear he was running through a crate acoustic amp and a blues driver by boss i don't know if he was borrowing that rig or if that's what they had or if that's his other rig or maybe it's vice versa he sounded just as good <laughs> just as it's it's uh he's actually where my uh where the theory i i like to tell everybody who is. Uh, gear is for the musician not the audience uh his job is to make it to where we hear the best ever and so the gear is about for him it's what he likes to play through what inspires him so obviously in his world he either made it work one night or he likes you know what he likes or whatever it was man it was really it was really eye-opening and that's the whole like i said the know you gear philosophy again is not that you know everything it's that you learn how to use the stuff you have to the point where you can use the $30 pedal and the, the $100 guitar and the $200 amp and you learn to make it sound amazing because it's never gonna be the shortcomings of the gear. In my opinion, nah, never is a little extreme. I <laughs> don't like never, but you know what I mean. We know it's us. So it's about learning how to use our stuff as much as we possible. And uh, I think that's important. I think it's isn't, like I said, I think learning how to use sound, uh, when, especially in the electric guitar, uh, learning how to use the equipment I think is as valuable as learning how to play the music. I think it's, I think they go hand in hand. And uh, when people try to focus and say, it doesn't matter, it's all in your hands. I'm not here to argue that. I'm just trying to say, well, okay, well, why can't we just have both? Why can't we say it all matters to some degree? Why can't, you know what I mean? I can, I can I, I can definitely entertain and agree with an argument that says knowing how to play the guitar well is more important than having a nice guitar. I absolutely agree with you. But I think there's value to all the things working together. And uh, that's what I learned from Monty, uh, watching him. And uh, and then, and I probably have more of these, but I'm just thinking, obviously, off the top of my head. But another band that sticks out to me, of course, is Living Color. And here's why. Talk about a band with a gazillion things going on, right? 5,000 pedals. Just right? Just chaos. I even did a uh, Vernon Reed uh, uh, rig rundown reaction video. It's the only reaction video I ever did. I had to do it because it's so just crazy and mind boggling. And everything in my being tells me when I saw it, when I see that stuff is there's just no way all that stuff is going to work together. And a lot of people say you don't need all that stuff. And a lot of people say all kinds of things. And again, everybody can have their their opinions of, for sure. However, for me, what I learned about that was, um, it's it's how they found themselves. Because let me tell you, well, they sounded great. They played great. It was a great show. It's definitely in my top ten or twenty shows. And when I say top ten or twenty, I've gone to so many shows. So I mean, hundreds and hundreds of shows. So to be in the top ten or twenty of my list is a, it's a long list. So to get in there, I, I I'm telling you, they have, I have a lot of appreciation for it. But I loved it because I love the idea that they take it to extremes and 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 everybody in some cases it might have been me and everybody has had a band, I'm sure at some point where there was a guy or gal in your band who maybe should have brought less crap to the gig. <laughs> right? You know, right. We we've all been guilty of it to some extreme, but we're not talking about being guilty of it once or twice. We're talking about the person who's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> Right. You don't need, you know, they're you're like, we're playing Bob's pub and grub on Thursday. And he's like, okay, great. I'm bringing three Marshalls. I'm bringing my fender for my clean tone. I got two pedal boards. I got to sync them. I'm going to dual wireless systems. I got to, right. They're just going to you're like, okay, look, calm down. Right. And, uh, what I've learned when they go crazy like that is it ends up sounding horrible because there's just too much stuff, too much goes wrong, too much stuff. And I got to tell you to the credit living color, most stuff I've ever seen, <laughs> you know, packed into anything. And yet, no, not one time. I've seen them twice. Never seen them like, you know, crap out. I've never seen Vernon, Ryan, or Doug, uh, like, you know, spending 20 minutes trying to fix, you know, a, a an issue. I mean, you guys may have seen him once do that, but I haven't. And like I said, um, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And, um, and then, and then the last note, uh, on that too is, um, they were a band that, uh, man, they're just so different uh, for what that what vein they're in, um, and uh, that's why I like them. Some people uh, love them, some people don't like them. Uh, I always tell everybody, well, whether you like something or don't like something, you should experience it. It will you will learn something from it. Um, as you guys know, I talk about Larry. Sometimes Larry Mitchell's my friend. He's a great guitar player, and uh, best one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. Uh, which he didn't give to me. He gave to a group at a in a clinic that I was just hanging out at. <laughs> I was loitering with, you know, him, and he was talking to the crowd. and 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 uh, boy, I don't know why, but my ears poked up and and heard it. He said, uh, "You'll never advance your playing if you don't learn anything outside." Your little bubble. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's the sense of it, right? He's like, you'll never be the best guitar uh, rock guy if you don't learn another genre of something, right? You'll never expand what you're doing if you don't go outside of it. And I thought, oh, that's that's a great way to think of things. I like that attitude. Next question is from Deja Voodoo, who says, "Hey Phil, uh, you tend to be right on the money uh, predicting industry trends. Sometimes you you can get lucky a couple times, and maybe." Uh, it says uh, transitions. Oh, the transitions and the drama and stuff. Okay, it goes. When was the last time you were genuinely, 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 not generally, genuinely surprised or shocked at a gear trend or company decision? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Hopefully, I can come up with two because I like to give you two examples of stuff. Uh, the w- the one I got wrong the most, and I always, I always will always uh, remember this, was Kiesel Guitars. When Kiesel And Carvin had a break away from each other in 2015, I believe. I think Kiesel, so Kiesel says, I think they're 73 years old. They've been around since like 1946, something like that, the original company. But Kiesel, Jeff Kiesel and his dad, the company we know Kiesel now, they've technically been around since 2015, I think. Um, You guys can Google the exact date, but I think that sounds right. And when they did that, when that rebranding happened, a lot of us, including myself, didn't understand all the stuff going on between the two factions of the Kiesel family. That's basically the best way I have to put it, right? You have, uh, you have Jeff and his dad, and then, of course, uh, his dad's brother and his cousins, right? So this is there's Carvin now audio. That's separate, Carvin audio. And then you have Kiesel. They're not connected anymore. And that's what I mean by 2015. When they rebranded Carvin to Kiesel, I remember thinking this is the worst idea I ever heard, (laughs) right? Like who does that? Who, you know, even explaining like, it's our name. We were always the Kiesels. We were never Carvin, Right. Um, you know, and, and they explained all this stuff, but rebranding was just such a crazy thing to do. Right. It just seems so crazy. And, um, and I have to say, I mean, obviously they've stepped in their own crap a couple of times, as we know, and they've had some highs and lows. But as, as, a, as a person, I have no problem admitting that I was so totally wrong. I, their rebranding did so many good things. First of all, uh, one of the things we love about Carvin guitars and basses was they were always quality, but they were always had horrible, horrible resale value right which is great when you bought one used it's a bragging point like i got this american made amazing guitar for you know 200. um the cu- i i offended a customer once in my store so badly that um they were there for their very first lesson i pissed them off so bad that they never came back and got their other three lessons i felt horrible i even tried i reached out to them and tried to apologize and And, uh, this is what happened. And I, and I think it's an honest mistake that I made. I, um, one of my good friends now, you guys know Joe, uh, he's been on the channel a long time ago, but Joe, uh, this is how I made friends with him. So it's weird, weird. I pissed off a customer and made a good friend. And it was all because of, uh, how, uh, this happened. What happened was a, a guy came into our store and he traded in a Kiesel, or sorry, a carving guitar. This is predates Kiesel. And uh, it was really one of the expensive Carvins, okay? So I did what we all do. I pull up you know, uh, eBay, and I'm looking at what, you know, stuff they're going for. And this guitar is like, at that time, was very expensive. It was about fifteen dollars to $1,800 new. And I couldn't find it for anything more than like four or $500 used. Tops, tops. And so, you know, I told him, I go, I can only give you about 253 And I was really trying to get into it really low. So, I mean... Because all I kept thinking was, I'm not going to get this price. No one's going to buy this guitar. Doesn't matter. It was neck through. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful quilted top. Doesn't matter. So, you know, I lowballed the guy. The guy took it and I got uh, I got into it for like 250 bucks. So hung it on the wall, put it for five. Okay. And I was thinking, I'm not gonna get five. So I'm I'm not trying to double my money. I'm trying to like, okay, the first person is coming in for 350 on this. I'm they're getting this guitar. And you know, so, and the guy trading to me, he didn't even budge, you know, or he, he didn't care. Cause again, he's like, you know, he knew, same thing. They don't have any resale value. So it's on the wall, rots for months, okay? I mean, I mean, especially think about this. You got to think about inflation and stuff, but you got to think like, it's like walking in a store now and, and seeing a nice neck through body American guitar, I understand, or carbon now, and seeing it for the equivalent of like $700, right? It's, it's a top line uh, guitar. And uh, so what happens is, um, you know, I, I don't have any problems with that, but a customer comes in, they sign up for lessons. They came in, they, they're there for their first lesson. They're waiting for their teacher. They have a case. We're talking, you know, cause I'm just there. I'm talking, I was working on guitars and talking. And the guy goes, you want to see like the nicest guitar ever? And I said, oh yeah. And he goes, man, he goes, it's going to, and he goes, where do you see this? And he opens up the case and it's the same guitars on my wall, but in red. Mine was blue and his was red. And he goes, this is the nicest guitar like ever, (laughs) right? And, uh, I, and so there's a story to this. So he goes, he, I'm looking at it and I go, oh, it's really nice. Cause it is. And, um, he says it's worth like $2,000. And I said, no, I mean, I, and I go, if you want, I have the exact one over there. I'll sell it to you for 350 bucks right now. And, uh because I'm thinking, you know, because I'm an idiot. I'm thinking, well, I can fast sell the second one and uh, he'll have a second one because obviously he loves this thing. Who wouldn't want to pick up a second one for nothing? What I didn't know is he didn't buy it. So he was a general contractor, some kind of contractor. And what he did was he traded thousands of dollars of his labor for, for it to somebody. They, they handed it. And so I mean, So, I mean, he really worked his ass off for this guitar and he really loved it. And I basically told him it had no value. And, uh, yeah, Matt's like, oof. I know as soon, and I can tell you right now, as soon as it all came out of my mouth it was like, you know how you just, I don't know. Hopefully you guys don't know this experience when you say stupid crap and it comes out of your mouth and you're like, what's, what's wrong with me? <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> so basically that's what happened. And obviously I, I upset him and, and, I, you know, it was, and it, It's not because I was like the bearer of the bad news. That'd be worse. I just didn't, I shouldn't have said anything like that. I was basically just like, ah, it's nothing. Um, The only good news come from that. It was a couple days later, Joe, my buddy, good friend now came into my store. That was the first time he came to the store. He saw the guitar and he goes, he goes, that's a really nice carving. And he's like, what will you do? And I go, I'll do 350. (laughs) And so he bought it. And uh, and that's how we be- we became friends. So, so um, the reason I tell you that story, obviously, just to tell you another stupid moment in my life. Um, more importantly, though, to tell you about this Kiesel, how I got Kiesel wrong. Kiesel's resale value is way stronger than what carbon was, and Kiesel has done a lot to improve what you know a lot of things and there's some choices that you guys aren't happy about they got rid of some stuff right like one of the things they got rid of that i think it was a cool decision was member carvin had a line of acoustic guitars that were made overseas and they got rid of that and i appreciate their whole desire to do only usa made stuff so kiesel of course is doing great right now as a company they're doing they've been growing and so uh, my prediction was they were going to fail and that was the worst idea ever i said it a lot nicer than that back in the day but i basically said this is not a good idea and now you look back now and years later, not only was it a good deal, but look, I have uh, one right there, and I have two Kiesel's behind me right now, and I absolutely love. And I could actually tell you, they are two of my favorite guitars. So I mean, they're in my heavy rotation of playing, and I like them. Um, so I mean, they've they've done a lot, and I've always liked Carvin, but I think for some reason the branding has worked on me, where the Kiesel just see, it feels a little bit more premium, even though I know it's the same guitar. They make them the same way, and. And like I said, it took away one of the things I didn't like about carbon. One of my only takeaways was I didn't like that they, like I said, I never felt the desire to buy a new carbon because I didn't want to take a bath if I didn't like it. So, um, that's one, <laughs> that's one thing I was totally wrong. He said trends also. What are the trends? Um, you know I, I think i think uh I don't know if I could say I actually got it wrong but I can tell you what I was late on the to get to and irs impulse responses i did not did not get on the impulse response wagon uh very quickly it's i am on it now and I can tell you right now it's a, uh you know first at first impulse responses I was like oh this is all just eqing <laughs> you know like it is eq and it is but it you know what impulse responses to me are some of the Biggest game change. I was gonna say, if there's like a piece of technology, I think about like when you think about preamps and you think about recording technology and digital recording and obviously computers and all the things that probably innovated things in the industry. I think of impulse response as being one of the biggest, massively biggest changes in the in the recording world, in the playing world. Just period. It's just uh, it's a it's a huge game changer, and it will be it will be the thing that changes continually changes the uh, guitar gear environment for many decades coming forward. Such a great idea. So, um, Eddie says, I uh, still need to get on the IR bandwagon. Thought the same thing. It's just a fancy EQ. Yeah. I was like, you know, I was so pessimistic. And again, I wasn't saying it was a scam or anything stupid. I wasn't down on it. I just wasn't going like, I can, I can figure that out. And, you know, and that's one thing that's great about having a channel like this and an opportunity like uh, I have, which is, you know, companies reach out. And what happened was, as you guys watch the videos over the years, companies reach out and want to send me stuff like an impulse response pedal or a program or a thing. And and luckily, you know, some companies are really cool because, and they'll say, you know, and I go, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to do a video about this. And they're like, well, just can we send it to you and have you check it out? And just, if you don't like it, you don't have to do anything. And we'll still be friends. You know what I mean? Like, oh, cool, cool. And then you get it and you mess with it. And, you know, you got no skin in the game. I got no money out for this stuff. So, you know, I'm like, okay, might as well try it. What, why can I say, you know, how can I say no? And then as you try it, you're like, wow, wow. You know, and every time after that, wow, wow. Like I said, I would say the Cab M by Two is one of my favorite things on the market. Um, the Aux by Universal Audio, one of my favorite things. The uh, Captor X, I mean, th- that stuff is, like I said, it's, it's literally game-changing uh, to me uh, and how it's changed everything I do and making things easy. So yeah, Brad, uh, guitar says IR save hearing. I, I mean, there's, I have so many positive things to say about impulse responses and, and, uh, and they're easy. You know, I'm not even a tech guy. So, I mean, trust me, I'm not doing anything fancy with my impulse responses. I just kind of listen to the, my friends that are smart and know how to use them and how, and they program them and they make them. And I'm like, yeah, can I just take their stuff and use their stuff and it works great. So, all right. Uh, Ray M says would be nice if Kiesel made a guitar sub1,000 dollars affordable instruments like Carvin did. I, I agree. I wish I wish, um, I wish w- if I could change one thing or you know uh, you know about them, I would agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't ever say anything like I don't think they should do a custom guitar or anything for that you know low pricing but it would be nice if Carvin had a production guitar that they made all the time. And maybe offer it in five colors, maybe like a Delos, right? Make it, just do it. It could be a. I think it would be fantastic. Uh, because here's why. I think it would be. Uh, I think at first to them it might be scary because to them it's like, well, it's resources. We have employees making these guitars. We don't make a huge margin on them. But I think um, again, um, uh, I would have never bought a Kiesel. Never. I've said this uh, before. I'll say it again. I would have never bought one. Except for you guys. You guys, what happens on these live shows is you guys send messages. There's all kinds of things that get on my radar just because you know, you know, somebody super, super chats it or somebody messages it or you 50 times I've seen it, it just keeps coming up and Kiesel just kept coming up. What do you guys, what do you think of Kiesel? And you can only ask me about 50 times what I think of something and I have no, ver- I have no idea what it is before I get annoyed and going, okay, I got, I got to learn something. Cause I can't just see, I can't keep going. I'm like, I don't know. I've never tried one. Right. And there's a ton of brands Ertz, like that. I mean, there's a ton of brands that you guys suggest. Sometimes it's the, you know, the inexpensive stuff. Sometimes it's expensive stuff. And you're suggesting because you're curious what I think of it or, you know, so we could talk about it. And so I bought that used Vader and uh, a viewer, Tim, he's the guy who hooked me up. Uh, he's like uh, he introduced me to somebody who's reselling keysels, and they had this one and they made me a deal and I got it for a thousand bucks. And so this is why I say it's perfect that you said a thousand dollars because that's what it was for me. I was not going to spend, I was not going to spend a $1,001 for a Kiesel. I was not going to do it. I was looking for a Kiesel, uh, a thousand bucks. And all I was really looking for was to tick some boxes, which is, okay, I got a Kiesel. I didn't spend an insane amount of money on it. And now I can do a video of it and share it with you guys. And when you guys, what do you think of Kiesel? I go, well, the one I played this way, I liked and didn't like, and I got that guitar and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I was like, absolutely love it. I'm like, I can get it now. You guys, I'm like, yeah, it's great. Plays great. It felt great. Um, Thousand bucks. I was like, yeah, you can't go wrong. You know, for that price point. But again, that was used and not new. And I think used, you can find guitars. There's a, a one I saw the other day used. It was in the the racing green. I think it's 11, 1200 bucks on Reverb right now. And I was looking at that one, going, do I need another Kiesel? But for me. I agree with what you're saying is if they had a just a production guitar, just something that you could buy and know and because it, it's a production guitar, a whole value because there'll be used ones on there and maybe you can pick up a used one for 800 bucks, buy a new one for 1000 I think Kiesel would be better for it because they would be able to, to their biggest obstacle that they have is you have to buy something that you, most of us, including myself, I've never tried. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. I wasn't familiar with their neck shapes, familiar with their tones the feel you know and they like to the throw the quality thing like oh it's stainless steel frets and it's the right woods and it's built really well and it's got cool colors and it's semi-custom and that's great and for the price it's a very good value because like i said if you look at what sir and other brands that go for that have the same kind of features you're getting a good deal however there's no way to really get an experience of it unless you're a used one happen by a used one so um I agree. I I think if they did a production guitar, it would be great marketing for them, and and they would sell a lot of them, and a lot of you guys would try them, Um, especially since uh, all of you who are watching right now that are Kiesel friends, you know, Kiesel fans, I should say, um, you know that once you get one, you kind of like buy another one. (laughs) Once Once you try one, you're like, um, and it's not for all the best reasons. Sometimes it's because you're like, this is really good. I can't wait to get another one. It's also like, you know, once you did it, you're like, I wish I did, you know, this and so now maybe I'll do another one and I'll refine it. The crackle one that I have, the purple crackle, that it was my like I made two Kezels and what I learned from doing that, this was exactly what I what I was trying to do in the first place, and I did it. So um There you go. And uh, once I kind of felt better uh, knowing their finish is really good, I was more crazy. Like, let's try one of the crazy finishes. So there you go. Um, We have the other question came from Alan Sam's Music. He says, "Uh, new guitar day, trying out the Revstar 2 standard. So far, I'm really enjoying it. And I liked your video on the guitar. Thank you. I appreciate that, Alan. I put the, uh, the thing on there now. I pinned the comment, but I love that video because... That was one of those videos, like I said, when I got the guitar, Revstar Yamaha sent that out. And, uh, you know, and it was a strange, different guitar. <laughs> it was very strange. And um, and I want, you know, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Patras helped me with that guitar because I was having trouble. I was like, okay, I think I know what this guitar is doing. I reached out to Yamaha. They didn't give me an answer, right? They said that they could talk to the designer, but they didn't, you know, they couldn't, they didn't have the answer. There was only you know, only so long you can sit on a video before it's like, okay, well, every day I'm sitting on this video, it's, it's becoming irrelevant because it's not, you know, everybody else put out 50 of them too because they sent out a lot of those guitars. That was one of those heavy guitars that they sent out so many channels. And I really wanted my video out because I feel like I had a voice in it and a way of looking at the guitar that no one was looking at. And I had decided that basically after checking my ideas through Lawrence and checking my ideas through another friend and kind of like, okay, I got the right idea. This is what it is. and I put it out and you put, I put it out in the, and and it was well-received. It did great views. And a lot of people were like, whoa, that's crazy. And then of course I got, some people were like, you're wrong. You're so wrong. And every person who said I was wrong, you got to understand I'm not, I'm only 90% sure. Right. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is accurate. because and again, I'm, I you know, I can only tell you what I think I see, what I hear, what I've ever kind of reverse engineered. And thank god, uh, a couple of days after the video released, uh, uh, Yamaha uh, sent me a confirmation of yes, we talked to the designer, and that is what it's doing. And I'm like, nice, <laughs> good good i was like so happy i'm like great you know because i'm like because i was ready to have to have put an update going hey guys maybe i got it wrong and this is what it is so the reason i say that now is like i still get a couple comments here and there on that video not very many but you go in and you're like hey phil just you know you're totally wrong it's really doing this and i'm like uh so now i have the comment pen going okay well the guy who designed it said this is what it's doing so we're gonna say the guy designed it's right that's just what i'm gonna say so alan i'm glad you liked that video that was uh, one of the Harder videos I did. And of course, it was one of the more risks I took. You know, sometimes, like I said, uh, I've done a lot of videos over the years where I'm like, like I said, I can only be 90% sure at some point because of what I'm what I can confirm and not confirm. And I'm like, okay, we'll go with it. And hopefully, we're not, you know, giving out wrong information, because don't want that. Bali Tiger says, have you seen the resale values on the Beast Rich Warlock made in Indonesia? Uh, He says, India. Is it India, Indonesia? I thought it was Indonesia, but it doesn't matter. India, Indonesia. Uh, They obviously use both those countries for manufacturing. Says, retail is $900 and uh, looks like resale is over two two grand. Yeah, I've seen them go for over two grand too. It makes sense because if you look at this uh, guitar line, this launch, the Beast Rich Warlocks um, that they did for the Stranger Things release, this is the same marketing strategy that Fender did with Game of Thrones. I said that before on the podcast weeks and weeks ago when I said it's the same logic. And remember, those Game of Thrones guitars were like $25,000. I don't even remember. Somebody's going to probably remember in the comments. Uh, you know, it's not something I I commit to memory because I was like, when I see it, I just like see insane pricing. And I go, okay, I'm not looking at those. But it was like 25 grand and they sold out those guitars in, you know, no time. And the reason they did, the reason they sold out, you know, Game of Thrones guitars for $25,000, the same reason these, these uh, BC Rich... Uh, you know, guitars, these, these uh, Stranger Things guitars sold out, and of course, in minutes and high dollar. And I saw some YouTube channels kind of poking at them like, this is dumb, they are dumb. And I'm like, okay, look, that's an interesting perspective. But here was my perspective, which is, which is this. A lot of guitar players did not buy them. A lot of Stranger Things fans bought them. And you have to understand when you make a product outside of its normal market and you introduce new consumers to the market, they have different mentalities, and different ideas. You know, to me, a person buying a $2,000 made in Indonesia or India or, or you know, uh, China or wherever you want to you know, import guitar, right? So what we're trying to say is it's not a high dollar expensive guitar because it's imported. When you see somebody going, okay, I'm going to spend nine or two grand for that guitar, uh, I see the same customer as I spend two grand for a replica lifesaver, 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 saber, uh, lifesaver, not the candy, the lifesaver or a, you know, $5,000 for a replica, you know, Boba Fett helmet or whatever, you know, people collect up. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so it's a different, it's a different, it's a different customer. Sure. Some guitar players probably bought them. I would imagine most guitar players who bought them for the actual guitar purpose immediately sold them for profit. Cause they were like, well, I like it, but I like the doubling and tripling my money more. And they probably wouldn't bought something else because that value line is different for them because to us, we'll always see it as, you know, kind of like imagine it's like, it's imagine it's, uh, if Squire did a line of guitars for a movie, you know, and they started going for two grand, you're not gonna see a whole lot of guitar players going, oh, I really wanted it because it was in the movie. You're gonna see a lot of movie fans going, I'll buy it, and the guitar players aren't gonna do it. So that's what I think happened with that stuff. So that's, if you look at it from that perspective, I'm not saying that's right, but I think that kind of changes, right? Doesn't it tilt the way you're looking at the situation? Um, uh, you know, uh, I think, right? I think, um, and I know that, I know to some degree that's true because if you guys remember on this channel, um, I was given a, an amazing gift. It's actually framed. It's in my hallway now. It's outside his rooms in the hallway. Which I was given a piece of movie memorabilia, memorabilia from um, Army of Darkness because I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan and Army of Darkness fan. And um, it was a, such a great gift, but it's an expensive gift because I don't know if you guys realize like that stuff is worth good money. To me, I didn't even know that. By the way. At the time I got it, it was just like, oh, he gave me a gift from a movie and he worked on the movie and that was John. And, and it was like, oh, this is such a cool gift. And just on an emotional level. And then one of my friends who's into that stuff saw it framed and it goes, oh, what's that? And I tell him, and he goes, oh, that stuff's worth big dollars. And I go, really? Like, I didn't, I didn't think it had any value. <laughs> like not, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Other than the emotional value. I didn't know it was a, it was a dollar value. PV tried with the Star Wars. Oops. Google them. Somebody pull up those Star Wars PV guitars uh, and, and tell me what they're going for now. Keep in mind, those guitars were, there was two levels of those guitars. I think some were like the, the little small ones. I think those were like $299 and the other ones were $499. So keep in mind, those price points retails were sub $700. So you know what? I can do it too while we're all doing. Well, there you go. These guitars for a fact were sub $700 new. Look at that. Three thousand six. Again, these aren't sold, so we could go look and look at sold. Fourteen hundred dollars. Uh, Nine hundred and fifty dollars. That's actually pretty reasonable. Look at that, because um, I'm sure somebody wants ten thousand dollars for all four of them. Uh, this one went for fifteen, right? It looks like this one went for eleven. I don't think that one sold, but uh, reverb is a little tricky because it says sold, but you don't know. So they do go for good money when there are that way, and they're in. There'll be trends of that. Like I said, they'll go up and they'll come back down. Because again, it has to do with how popular the movies are and all that stuff. There was other ones too. The uh, Remember they did all those um, uh, Marvel ones too and same thing. They were like worth nothing and then they went up and then they come back down. But again, I think it's a different customer base. I don't think it has to do with us guitar players. I think it has to do with memorabilia fans. There's a trick uh, if you had <laughs> to remove Sharpie off a of guitar is you use a dry erase marker and you trace it, and you wipe it off, and it comes right off. So if you ever, any of you have any Sharpie on a guitar, all you do is, like I said, take your dry erase marker, trace it over it, and then just wipe off with a dry cloth, and it'll come right off. And if it didn't all come off, do it again, do it again. And the reason I know to do that is because people would trade in guitars to us, and they would be signed by famous people, semi-famous people. Unless unless you're in a memorabilia store, that, that stuff had no value to us. No one was walking in a guitar store looking for a signed instrument by an artist. Lisa says, I can see how a pretty guitar would look great on a fan's wall. Absolutely. Uh, We have uh, Patrick who says, hey, Phil, I have a four-year-old Strat with hot, noiseless pickups in it. Suddenly they are humming and buzzing similar to regular single coils. How do I diagnose this problem? Well, it's most likely not going to be the pickups. There's nothing the pickups would do. Nothing in the pickups design is uh, something that would fail. And then all of a sudden you'd go, Oh no, you know, right. Um, there is, cause here's why, cause they are, st- remember they're stacked, they're humbuckers. So they're stacked on top of each other and their wire is coming over the sides of the, uh, bobbin and it's really thin and it can be scraped and frayed and cut. And, um, it's not likely that one of the coils gets cut and then you're, you're back to single coil mode. Um, because most likely if that gets wire gets cut then you're you 're killing the entire sound altogether, so that 's not a likely situation. What is likely is that something inside the guitar is grounded or touching. And not grounded, right? Something is something has changed in the wiring. And that happens. Things get loose. And then in there in the cavity, there's things that are going on. And like I said, things can touch each other or break. So what I would do to diagnose the problem is I would uh, say, hey, it's restring day for you. Go ahead, take the strings off. Be prepared to put some new strings on. Take all the screws off the pickguard, pull the pickguard out and flip it over, and go through and look. And um, I use, as you guys, you see, I use a chopstick, right? I have a nice uh, chopstick, but you can use anything. Um, just use something wood or plastic and, um, use it to poke around. And that's what I use it for. Cause you want to poke, cause you want to poke at wires and stuff to see, um, if anything breaks free. Cause if it's, you know, or if it moves, sometimes it looks like it's connected. It's not. Another thing that's nice about that is you can plug it into your amplifier and clean at a low volume setting. Cause you don't want it to pop the speaker and you move stuff around and you'll hear stuff too. And that's the best easy way to do it. And that, that'd be my guess is that it's not the pickups that did it. It's something connected to the pickups that's causing that problem is what my guess would be, especially since you said pickups are doing it. And like I said, that frayed, you know, something happened to a pickup to do that would be possible. But, um, my guess is my guess is no, it wouldn't happen to all the pickups. And again, remember these pickups can be coil split like a humbucker essentially. So something could be in there doing that as well. Be, be, be. just check around, look around there. Alex says, how does amp wattage work? Okay. I'm looking at a Blackstar HT5 RH tube head and cab, but five watts sound like, a, a five watts sound like so little when I see amps with 50 to 100 watts. It is good for an apartment playing or will it be dinky? Okay. Uh, To keep it super simple, first of all, because I already can kind of see in my head where the comment sections are going to go with this, because everybody kind of knows the general idea of this, which is... The watts really don't dictate a whole lot. Um, I like to refer to this always as I did this video series, uh, two videos where we had a real band play a bunch of five watt amps and 25 watt amps, small amplifiers, right? When the toaster, when the little toaster amps became a big deal, we did like uh, you know, a dozen of them, two dozen of them, and we had a band use them. And what we learned in that video was the wattage was not the deciding factor. And the price wasn't the deciding factor, although more expensive amps did get word louder. What really the deciding factor was was how nice the output transformer was. That seemed to have a big deal with how loud the amp overall was, um, and that doesn't mean that's proof of that. It just mean we, that's what we learned from that. What I have since learned when it comes to wattage with amps is that amps are just different. Not only if they have you know a a master volume uh, and if they have a gain control, all that stuff uh, factors in. But to me, how big they sound and how small they sound is not only different, but it happens at different times. In the amps volume. So what I want to talk about with you and your problem is not how loud an amp gets, and and how quiet an amp gets. It's where the amp's sweet spot is. Something I find a lot of people we don't time a lot of times we don't talk about. So what I mean by that is, some amps, you turn them up to like two or three and they sound great and you turn them down and then they get thin and they sound horrible. So to me, although I love that amp, I would say at light night practice, it's gonna sound thin because it's too quiet. When it gets quiet, it gets thin. Some amps, as they turn up, they start farting out and they don't sound really good. So there's all kinds of things that can happen. What I can tell you that will hopefully help you is, is that if you want a Blackstar HT5R, which is the five watt head with reverb, um, and you wanna use it for an apartment planning, you have a fantastic product. It will do everything you want it to. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great. And you could even use it for a small gig. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of it, but it's got a direct out. It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely giggable. You could gig it. You could take it to a a small jam. You could do that, but definitely it's going to sound great quiet. It's going to have no problems. So, um, and I think that's the core of what really, really want you want to find out, right? You want to know if it's the right amp for you for that? And I would say yes. Yeah. And of course, buy it where somewhere we have a good return policy in just in case, but I, I like that amp. I like Blackstar stuff. Um, the only complaint you get from most people on Blackstar is that, you know, they have reliability issues, but they're inexpensive and inexpensive, all inexpensive stuff. That seems like a brushstroke too broad, right? Not all inexpensive stuff has reliability issues, but that is something hand-in-hand, you know, you... I feel confident telling you if you got a uh, 5-watt Blackstar amp, you will get your money out of it. In other words, you know, it'll last as long as what you paid for it, right? Um, uh, Austin says, Phil, I'm moving to Tucson from the humid southeast. Any tips to protect my guitars from the desert? I love the show. Yeah, it's going to get dry here. And so obviously, you know that. But what does that mean for your guitars? Well, it means your acoustic guitars, what you really want to worry about is your bracing drying out because the bracing is going to dry out faster than anything else. And, uh, even the top, sometimes it's just the way it works here, man. It's just here. So just so dry. Um, and and in Tucson, especially in the summertime, you have monsoon season where it gets really humid and then it gets really dry again. So it gets get kind of like it's really bad for guitars because it's spiking. Get a lot, they get a lot of moisture and then they get dried out and then they get a lot of moisture and then they get dried out. And it's not really guitars. Like I said, guitars don't like that. They don't like going hot to cold, cold to hot, and vice versa, dry to wet. You know, they don't like the extreme changes. So in your case, what I would just be aware of is is acclimating them to the new current environment. And one of the things you can do is you can get a humidifier for that, or you can make sure if you have an acoustics. Acoustics are more so what you're worried about, obviously making sure they have humidifiers for a little while. Let them slowly dry out. They will dry out. There's just no way. You know, uh, some players will say, hey, you can get a room hum- humidifier. You can. You'll never get it to 60% humidity here. <laughs> not, not because here's the problem. Uh, because the problem is, is the humidifier is fighting the air conditioning in here, right? Your central air here is drying out the air. So if it's hot outside, it's not just the dry heat outside. It's your AC has to dry out the air to cool it down. So it's, and if you run your humidifier, the AC is going to run even harder to dry out that air. And so it's just, it's, you're in a constant fight. Um, your electric guitars, what you will worry about, of course, is fret sprout because your fretboards shrink. What I would do is oil them, you know, right. With some fretboard conditioner. Um, you know, a lot of people say they don't, you know, like it. Some people don't like it. What I will tell you is just make sure, no, don't do it often. Just do it once when they get here. I wouldn't overly worry about all this stuff, just like I said, but the best thing you can do also is pay attention. So you'll see it. You'll see stuff drying out. It's wood. It just starts drying out. Just make sure it, like I said, you want this process. It's going to happen. You can't stop it. Okay. It's going to dry out. You just want to slow the process down so that the wood doesn't have anything drastic. So it cracks or, you know I mean? And also cut your cost down because you don't want to have to have to do all that fretwork and stuff. So, um, so there you go. That's what I would worry about. Um, yes. You know what's funny is, uh, Blackjack Guitar says, uh, just cause it's a good subject, uh, Blackstar amps don't make their diagrams available if um, you guys know the gittologist Brad, had did a video talking about this. I had talked to Brad since this, uh, since that video. We had uh, had a conversation. We we're just talking, and um, this came up. We were talking, and one of the questions I, and, and so you know, it's funny because when he makes a video, he's no different than me, and vice versa. When you make a video and you talk about all your p- talking points, and then you put your video out to the world, it's like I said, it's a pie. It's baked. Now the pie's out there, and. Um, I agree with him, everything he said about Blackstar, you know, and making those diagrams not available. The question I asked him, which was funny, because I said, here's my question to him, because I'm not an amp guy. He's an amp guy. I'm a guitar guy, repair guy. And I said, one of the things I, I said, I don't know what happens to him is, in my world, inexpensive guitars like really inexpensive guitars, people won't pay me to do the repairs that they need, they need, right? I mean, you know, you buy a guitar for $150 and I'm quoting you $250 in repairs. You're just like, ah, I'm not going to do it. So I asked him, I said, but do people pay to fix a Black Star? Will people pay you 250 bucks for fixing an amp they can buy for 349 new? And he said, not normally. So we were agreeing that yeah, it's like, but you know, sometimes he wants to fix them because he just wants to fix them. And sometimes you have a customer who's, you know, who's who's like, I'm I'm not letting this thing die. I'm gonna fix it and keep it going. And 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 God bless him for that, because it's like, you know, who wants to see that stuff go in the landfill? But I also understand the other side. Like I said, I've done repairs for so long with people, I understand, you know, people have to it's their money. They work for it and they put their value on it. But um, but uh, yes, Blackstar won't give you stuff. But like, that's why I said, it, the thing with Blackstar, and I've reviewed them and I've talked about them and I've bought them, uh, me personally. And I, I, I think with companies like that, I have realistic expectations on that stuff. You know, um, it's just like Behringer stuff. You know, again, I'm, I'm never knocking this stuff by any means. But to me, if you buy yourself a really expensive amplifier and, you know, and two years later it burns up, Or a year later, it burns up. I can see where you're like, this, that's, you know, you're a little aggravated. To me, when you buy more affordable price products and they don't last as long, I think there's a little bit of like, it's not that it's all right. It's just, I I think it's a little bit like understood. That's one of the things that you're taking into consideration when you buy them. At least you should, you know. Um, You know the saying, what, buy nice or buy twice. Like I said, I can recommend a lot of stuff that I think is better than Blackstar. But, everything is almost twice the price. So you have to think about that. If that's something that matters to you both ways, whether it's your money or you want it to last. Um, Okay. DWC says, Hey Phil, new guitar day. Oh, congratulations. 15% off on a fender from a local shop that was having an overstock sale. Uh, thought that was interesting. Love the show. Yes, Fender, as we know, has tons of overstock. A lot of companies have overstock, but Fender uh, seems to be the most noticeable right now because they're being so aggressive with the discounting. We're going to see a lot of that overstock. Look, we're seeing stuff. There's. I was looking at a guitar this morning. Uh, I, sent it to a, I sent a link to a friend saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking about getting. And uh, the guitar right now is $600 less than I've seen it in the last two years. It's used, but it's, I mean, you can see the prices adjusting down, of course, as the market softens. So, um, so yeah, that's congratulations and you know, it's, it's, what's good. I think there's a lot of us right now are all doing the same thing. They're like, you know, you're waiting to see how much less things are going to be in a couple of weeks, couple of months. Cause you know, it's not going to go, they're not going to go back up for a little while. They're going down. So everybody has different theories on that. So, you know, um, you know, like I said, uh, whether or not the market will just tank, uh, we're just talking about guitar markets. So the take guitar, we don't have to talk about anything else. Whether another guitar maker tank and it's going to be a buyer's dream in a couple of months or, you know, what's going to happen. I personally think, like I said, you got a lot of things happening at the same time. You have, like I said, as prices, as demand goes down and there's prices come down, you remember there's still supply chain issues. There's still things going on that doesn't mean that everything's going to be a free for all soon. I think you would just notice things keep going down. I think it'll just keep slowing and I don't even think it's going to crash. Not not what I see now. I just see things are going to continue to get softer in the guitar market. If things outside the guitar market in the world happen, of course it'll affect this. But based on what I see now, that's just what I see. Uh, Gene, thank you for the super chat. I appreciate that. Sasha says, thoughts on the Gibson G-Force tuners. Just got a Les Paul with them on use. So not supporting Gibson being mean to Dean. (laughs) Okay. Um the G Force Tuner. So obviously we're talking about the Robo tuners and stuff, uh from um Tronical, right? Mtronical so, in, in or Tronical? It's Tronical. Um remember, like I said, I, I said this. I hated the decision that Gibson made that a mandatory thing and put them on all their guitars. I think that was obviously it was a bad decision because uh, they've they've uh, recognized that. I also uh, thought that they should have gone with the Epiphone line first. I understand the logic in doing it the way they did, um, believe it or not. I'm not saying it was a bad idea. I just think that um, I think they, obviously, with hindsight, but even without the hindsight, I originally thought they should have done it with the Epiphone line first. I think their logic was like a lot of companies, which you don't understand, a lot of consumers don't understand when anything, co- companies you got to put stuff on your high-end stuff and then you bring it down, right? That's kind of like the logic for a lot of stuff. And I think that was our logic. We'll put it on Gibson. Everybody in the world will have to have it. And then we'll put it on Epiphone. And it backfired on them because uh, they didn't really recognize their own customer base. But that being said, I like them. In fact, I've been looking at a set of them for a Strat-style guitar for the last few weeks. I like the Robo RoboTuner idea, the Tetronical stuff. I don't love the idea, but I like it. Um, to me, uh, we've been talking about um, Evertune bridges for a while. And slowly it started realizing Evertune bridges and robo tuners are kind of the same thing. There's this thing that just basically keeps your guitar in tune. and But yet the tuners on the headstock uh, are way more... Uh, are less more invasive to cutting up the guitar and adding the, the, uh, the Evertune system. So I've actually been on this kick now where I'm like, I want to get a set, put them on a guitar, try. And we are talking about trying the Evertune system and, and doing that video. And I, I want to talk about these two things and see how, how different are they? Are they doing the same thing? Cause they kind of, kind of come across like they're doing the same thing. They can keep your guitar in tune, but I think that the tuners can do more, way less, cost less, Less damage to uh, change, I should say, to a guitar. Shouldn't say damage, and so they might actually be the smarter move. We'll see. I'm working on that. I'm working on that whole video. I don't know how it's gonna unfold, but I'm sure it will be enlightening, Um, at least to me. So hopefully to you as well. Um, So, um, so that's my thought on that. Like I said, I don't want to buy a three thousand dollar Gibson that has Robo tuners on it slapped on it. and again, there's also worse, you know. The worst things they did was that new nut they did, and the new script, and all. I mean, everything about that that series was a bad idea. But the the tuners were the least of my complaints, um, and how they worked. Okay, uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar says he says, um, King's X is amazingly tight live, huge sound and killer tone. Yes. Absolutely. He just, uh, when we were talking about King's accent earlier, absolutely. Um, um, I got to tell Doug Pennock this and it was great when I did the interview. I don't think it's on the interview. I think that was pre talk. We do some pre talk when you do interviews. You talk for maybe five minutes if you're lucky, sometimes if you're 10 minutes um because you're just trying to get a sense of you know get set the vibe and the tone and i had to tell him this and i said hey i said hey i've seen you guys so many times live and i said and there's a joke me and my friends say and it's called never uh, it's it's, the joke is never let king's x open for you and he looked at me and i go because you're just too damn good you like you know and he laughed he obviously knew it was a compliment and he took it really well and i but i i wanted to just tell him i go i because it's not just to be funny it's we tell it all the time like Every band we've ever seen King, Kings have, I've never seen Kings X where they weren't opening for somebody. And every band I've seen with Kings X was great. Uh like whether it was extreme or somebody else and it was always a great band. They were uh, great players who sounded great too and they were tight, but just every time Kings X stole the show. And it so yeah, like I said that would be my advice for any any band. Don't don't let King, Kings X open for you. <laughs> <laughs> because they set the bar pretty high. Uh, in Cortex says, hey, Phil, how come Sadowski guitars aren't as popular as their basses? Oh, OK, that's uh, I know Roger. He's a great guy. His instruments are fantastic. Is it just more competition from Sir and the like? Um, well, it has to do with obviously with Roger, right? Roger. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, I, I know Roger Sadowski. I met him. I got to hang out with him uh, at a, at, in Germany uh, and and uh, super smart guy. And, uh, he told, we had breakfast a couple times and we talked and, um, Roger really hit the scene. What really it's, here's what it is. It's no different than any other business model. Okay. His bases are great. His guitars are great. But what made him, wasn't that he did guitars for Prince, wasn't that he did guitars for famous people? What made Roger, what made Roger hit the scene and what made Sadowski, you know, so, so big was he did active pre, uh, preamps in bases, like right when it took off, right? Obviously, Marcus Miller came to him and said, hey, I want to put an active system, you know, because so those of us uh, bass players remember, there was just no, there was no active systems. And then one day, active systems were taken off. They were like the... They, uh, seriously, active electronics for basses were no different than the Floyd Rose. It hit, and it hit big, and everybody was running to every music store to get that installed. Like, gut my guitar and shove a Floyd Rose in it. Gut my bass and stick active electronics in it. it. Was like literally almost like the way those two markets went off. They 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 were huge and fast. And Roger was a pioneer in that market at that time. He was the guy in New York, you know, if you, if you had a base and you wanted active, you went to Roger. And so you either bought his base or you bought his system and had to put in your base. And so Roger kind of made that happen. And so I think with that, sure, there's a little bit of Roger's going to lean into that because, you know, like any business, that's what you, you do and it does well. And uh, I think he did that. And then also, that doesn't translate over to the guitars very well so the fact that he makes really great guitars it doesn't really give him you know like oh roger makes the best active electronics and his basses are great and his guitars you know what i mean you, do, you just don't get you don't see that very often it's very rare um for a bass company a predominantly bass company to get the guitar market and think of, you guys don't probably remember this because it seems so different now but when you think of music man remember music man couldn't couldn't give away a guitar to save their life pre eddie van halen didn't, that didn't happen sure everybody was looking at music band basses everybody played them they were fantastic but a music band guitar the fact that they were great quality meant nothing they were expensive they were weird looking they and no one played them and then eddie played them and then bam it was on the radar and then of course eddie left and he went to PV. but more importantly what happens next was Petrucci comes and, and same thing he puts him on the radar and and it's not necessarily even their signature models that did it, that does it. But if you got to understand, then the artist, um, they basically they give the credibility to the instrument. They, they basically say, okay, this is good. This is the level that you want it to be. Um, and it makes total sense because uh, a, g- a good example, there's a ton of companies that can't cross over. Uh, obviously, to me, the biggest example is Warwick Framus. Warwick, uh, Warwick has, like I said, amazing basses. I, I, no one questions it. They're top five. And I told, uh, Hans, uh, this at at his house once, I said, Warwick is in the top five. If I name five of the greatest bass companies ever in the world, Warwick hits the list in five, top five. That's crazy. Considering Fender's like the dominant market, right? You know, got Fender, you got Music Man, we'll say Warwick. Um, right. I'm just, that's just three, but they're in the top five. And Framus isn't even in the top 50 guitar brands for when you, not for quality, but for sales, for, for notoriety, for, for when you're talking about that list and it's been hard for them. They can, they, you know, and what's really hard to say the same thing with Roger is, is, and I can't speak specifically about Roger in this, but I can talk about Hans and Framus Warwick, which is one of the problems when you have a company that's doing really well, like Warwick and like Sadowski and you're selling lots of bases and you try to put some effort in your guitars and you're, you know, it's, it's hard to go back to the drawing board. It's hard to go out there and earn a, a customer one at a time when you already have a great customer base. So a lot of times uh, they push their guitars, but not very hard because again, they're, they they don't want to give, you know, to get into a market. We've seen it. You've seen it when I do reviews and I've told you guys, I tell you guys always up front when I think a company is giving you way too much for way too little, little for market value Happens all the time. I go, look, this company, this is a great product of the price, and it's because they want to sell and get into the market. And so you have to kind of give a lot away. And I don't think Sadowski, just like I don't think Warwick, and I just, you know, I and Music Man didn't want to do it either. They don't want to give away, you know, the best for nothing, which is what you have to do to get into that market for a while. And um, so... Um, BC Rich 501 says, didn't Eddie get booted from Ernie Ball for very s- sordid reasons? No, that's not true. Uh, he left Ernie Ball Music Man because um, there's a ton of theories on why he left. But you understand, Ernie Ball had introduced him to PV. Hartley and they did the fifty one fifty amp, and there is a ton of things. Like I always believe, there's no one reason why something happens, right? It's a perfect storm. So with Eddie, you know, could it be a sorted thing? Could it be all these? Sure, but there are some factual things that you have to, you you can't say didn't have any merit. So can somebody have a rumor of why this happened? Absolutely. But here was a, a thing that really did happen, which is Music Man was making the guitars, but they weren't making enough of those guitars. That was a fact uh, they, they, uh, they weren't making the demand and, and they've admitted that publicly. They were like, they could, they were gearing up to, remember they were increasing their facility size. And at the time Hartley was in a sweet spot. Remember, cause Eddie just made PV. He just made PV, you know, happen. Cause again, kind of like what we talked about music, man, no one, you know, everyone was buying PV cause it was affordable. No one was buying it cause it was cool. And when Eddie all of a sudden had a fifty one fifty, again it's a generational thing. So everybody's gonna have a different feel for that, but most of the forty to fifty year olds right now are going, yeah, yeah. Like when Eddie did fifty one fifties, we were everybody walked in the store and went, what? You know, like in, like I would never consider a PV as a rock amp, and yet now all of a sudden it's like the go to amp, and um, and so PV obviously, obviously, as soon as they they sensed any, uh, you know. Any any opportunity to work with Eddie on a guitar, they took it. So there's a lot of things that probably happened, but the big thing you have to understand has happened is that Peavy could do something that Music Man at the time could not do. That Music Man could do now, which is Peavy could guarantee product in stock and ready for dealers to ship, and and that's and that's what um, that's one thing you have to think about. Because I think I've told you this. I've interviewed some of these people in the past, and when talking to them, what I what I really pay most attention to. Is not the stories, not everybody's version of events. It's what do they say that's the same? And they all seem to agree. The PB side and the Music Man side seem to agree. And and as you guys know, and I don't want to bring them into this because as you know, I'm really good friends with Larry DiMarzio who did the pickups for the Music Man guitar. So I know some of the stuff that uh, he's told me. And all I will tell you about that is a lot of the stuff he told me lines up with what I've heard everywhere else, which is again, it's a volume thing. Eddie sells a lot of stuff. And there was a lot of issues with music man not being able to hit that volume. That's a factor. So like I said, is that the only thing? No. Is it all the other stuff possible? Yes. The only reason I tell you that is because, again, that's just in, it's information to have. And, um, and it always makes sense why he went to PV. Now, and then he leaves PV. And for whatever reason, we could talk about that another day. Um, so, um, all right. Let's go to the next question we have, uh, Tom says, Tom says, Hey Phil, what do you know about the state of carbon audio today? I'm looking at purchasing a carbon PA. Would you be worried about the quality or bad support or bad resale value? Thanks. I would say, uh, if I, if you were looking at carbon audio for PA, uh, I would say there are a lot of great products out there that are the same and at a better value. So what do I know about Carvin? Cause I have worked with the new Carvin audio people before, uh, I've reviewed their, uh, the Steve I pedal and then the other pedal that they put out, both of those videos are on my channel. And, uh, they sent those to me and I did the videos. Okay. So I have talked to that side of the family. There's obviously, like I said, they're, they're the cousins of Jeff and those guys. And what, what I can tell you is, is that Carvin side of the business shut down all of the U.S. side. They shut down the U.S. facility. They shut down the manufacturing process. That do, None of that doesn't ex- ex- exist. The paddles that I reviewed are made in the U.S.A., but they are OEM'd. They're made by somebody else. I believe the company, I don't know the name of the company, uh, but I, know, I believe they're made in Texas because they were both shipped to me from Texas. So either they're warehoused in Texas or they're made in Texas, but uh, Carvin is in California, I, uh, Carbon Audio is in California. The uh, the, um, the the brother and sister that run it are in California, so they have those OEM. Everything else, as far as I know, their PA speakers, their wireless units, their other pedal power things, all their stuff, all that stuff is imported overseas. It's made, none of it's made in the USA. And it's all OEM, it's made by somebody else. In fact, I even showed you guys in a video or we talked about here that they make a a thing that actually Harley Benton has one too as well. (laughs) Like, and Harley Benton will sell you the same exact thing for like $70, $80 less, and it is the same unit. And I even reached out to Carvin for confirmation and all they could confirm, all they would confirm with me is that they have their spec differently, but they wouldn't tell me what the specs were the specifications were that was different. So you got to understand how of a like, like I like said I like that term broad, broad brush, brush stroke. How broad of a brush stroke that is? That's like me saying like hey, I have my own signature guitar and it's made in the same factory as Harley Benton and it's the same as them, but I spec it differently. And you go, "What's different?" I go, "I don't know, I spec it differently and the specification is mine's blue and theirs is red." <laughs> right? Like I told the factory to do blue. So again, I'm not saying that's what they did, but I'm saying that they they couldn't articulate to me a very easy question, which is, why is yours different than Harley Benton's, even though they are made in the same factory, the same unit, and Harley Davis is much less money? And there was no really articulate answer that I thought was good. I, I like them. They seem like nice people. Like I said, obviously, I was more than happy to review and talk about their pedals um because I like Steve I and I like those artists and I like those pedals and I like those amps and I like the fact they're still made in the USA. That's a cool thing. But... Um, the rest of the stuff, it's not good or bad. It's just, I can tell you, it's all OEM'd in places where somebody else has the same product. That's why they look identical to somebody else's. So that's the only thing I would say, um, as for their warranties and their backing, I have no idea. Um, I can tell you, Hey, we can use the word allegedly, (laughs) allegedly. In other words, I can't confirm this. It's just something I, I've heard, uh, is that, um, you know, Kiesel has the right, to use the name Carvin when making electric guitars. So Kiesel guitars, which is Jeff Kiesel and his father, can make a Carvin guitar. They can do that, okay? Carvin Audio owns all the rights to all of the amplifiers, PA systems, and all that stuff. They don't own any of the rights to the the Kiesel guitars. So I wanna be very clear, this is for sure carbon audio and kiesel guitars are not connected in any way shape or form other than by blood <laughs> that's it as, as companies there is no crossover contamination with the companies okay they are separate they're held separate they're ran separate they don't interact and they have different agreements in other words like i said kiesel can make guitars and carven guitars as guitars because and and carbon audio can make everything else besides guitars my understanding, that's fact. Here's what I heard. And like I said, I can actually almost say it's rumor, but I heard that part of this agreement is, is that if if one of them ever stops, like goes out of business, the other one, I guess, either can or will get uh, ownership of the right to do the other products. So in other words, if Kiesel was to go bankrupt tomorrow and close, Carvin Audio would then now have the right, if they so wish to, to make Carvin and Kiesel guitars, right? And definitely the Carvin guitars. I don't know about Kiesel so much. Now, same thing. I am understanding is it is possible that if Carvin Audio goes out of business, that Kiesel, if they want to, could own the things, like I said, this is kind of a rumor thing that I kind of, and the reason I even know this rumor is, is because of that reason. The fact they were independently, remember, understand? I've worked with both now, and working with both, like you guys, I had questions, like, "Hey, how does this work?" And the only thing I can tell you for sure is it got, it was really clear to me that they're not connected. <laughs> okay, so both of them are very, very clear that they're not connected, and uh, and I believe that to be true through these interactions I've had, but. I think that's what's going on with Carbon Audio. I think Carbon Audio's existence is mostly just so that they can re- retain the prop- the rights of Carbon Audio, and that's why they keep it going, I think. I don't know. Um, but that being said, I, I like the two pedals I used. I could recommend them, and the, the rest of the stuff I have no idea. So... Uh, Pedaly. What's up, Pedaly? It says, for the pedal jar. P.S. We're, we're now a two notes dealer. Oh, fantastic. I have a two notes video that I'm almost done with. I think I told you guys about I'm very excited with. Uh, again, kind of like talking about our impulse response talk. This was, uh, w- it was a cool idea. Two notes reached out to me and, uh, they knew I'm a huge fan of, a, you know, obviously of all their products, but of one of their products, and then they said, Hey, would you, were you interested in doing a video? And I'm like, I already did a video on that product. And they, and they said, no, just something else. And then I pitched them an idea and they liked it. And I was like, Oh, cool. So it's kind of a crazy deal, uh, a crazy idea. Um, and uh, it's really fun because it's a, one of my favorite videos to work with a the company. They're not paying me to do the video and I'm not keeping the product that they sent me. Um, so it's on borrowed. What they are going to do though, is compensate me for the things I have to buy in the video to do the video. So that's really cool. So I get to do. So that's like one of those things where it's like, you know, hey, if I money didn't matter to me, I'd buy all this stuff and try, you know, do videos with it, right? Um, knowing that I can't recoup it because the video just doesn't make enough money to recoup the cost of buying things for it. And so they were able to to say, okay, yeah, we'll do that. So and when I do the video, it'll make sense. I'll explain what I'm doing. Uh, okay, I won't make you too crazy. Um, basically, I was saying, hey, if I took one of your products and mixed it with an old time product from back in the day. You know, I'd like to see what the results are. And they said, oh, that's a great idea. And I said, but I don't have that product, so I'd have to go buy it. So, you know what I mean? And so they gave me the money to buy it. It wasn't expensive, but it's still fun. Uh, Bruce says, uh, just ordered a, PS, a PRS S2 I have one of those. Do I have it here? How strange. I would have swore it was behind me I don't I have the PRS 594 thin line uh, it says uh, do you still have yours yeah <laughs> so uh yeah my 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 PRS5s2594 I got rid of I got rid of my real 594 uh, real being core and now I have the PRS 594 s2 thin line. I like the solid color mine's metallic blue remember I was telling you earlier I'm just more about the, the colors. Uh, just, uh, so I still have it in some form, I should say, uh, looking forward to getting it. I got the new color, uh, Lake Blue from Sweetwater called, uh, called and got a deal. That's awesome. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, re- always reminding us that you can call these places and get a deal. And, uh, also, um, new, new color, Lake Blue. So that sounds great. Uh, mine's metallic blue. I don't know the name of it. I'm never always horrible at na- remembering the names of these colors, but, So yes, I do have a PRS uh, S2 594. I just have a different one than the video I made of it. I don't have a video of the one I made, or or the one I have now. I should maybe do a video. (laughs) And uh, what I did is exactly what you think. Uh, They sent me, PRS sent me a 594 S2 and they let me keep it. And I liked it, but I wasn't loving the color. You know what I mean? I know that sounds like vain, but it's true. And so I sold it and took the money and bought this other one. So that's where it came out uh gand i don't know gander gandagor gandagor i don't know i apologize which would you choose sg or noventa telly uh sg oh sg jr i'm sorry or noventa telly uh sg jr it's probably not i hope it's the answer you wanted but it's the it's what i would do i would pick the SG junior, junior uh david says hey phil from sydney australia i'm after a really smooth distortion not into overdrive or fuzz i have a strat with pearly gates humbucker in the bridge and a solid state Marshal. i like silver chair oh man that's a throw out there right to the band silver chair um you're saying you like a smooth distortion uh, i'll tell you my favorite three and, uh, obviously I like the LPD Lawrence Petros 68. That's one I definitely love. I love the love. It's I love the love pedals, uh, OD 11. That one is probably the best deal so far, uh, out there. They don't make them anymore, but you can pick them up all the time for hundred bucks. And then another smooth overdrive that I really, really like, uh, would be, I mean, there's a ton, but I'm trying to think of the three that I just absolutely like love. And the other one would probably be the, uh, oh, either the Zen drive. And again, you can get inter- any kind of versions of this. And so, you know, the audio 11 is basically like a Zen drive too. I like the Zen drive as well. Um, and all the versions of the Zen drive that exist out there, all their iterations. And again, these are lighter overdrives and I think they're smooth. When I think smooth, I, I mean, I, I don't think of it, you know, being, like you said, you don't want the fuzz. Those are the ones I would go with. Um, any, any one of those three. Well, the, the reason, and the reason why I tell you that is those are all three that I, like if I could only, you know, if I had to pare down pedals, those are definitely never getting there. I'm never getting rid of those three pedals. Those three pedals have been around, um, all three of those pedals I've had for many, many years. Uh, the 68, I think is the newest one of those three. And I've had it since probably 2016, maybe 2017, 2016. Uh, And no, 2016 had to be 15 or 16. So that, and that's the newest one of the three. And the other two I've had for even longer than that. So it tells you how, how much I like them. Because think how much stuff I've tried over the years. And I'm still going back to those for that kind of tone. And uh, I did, and I actually do this thing where like I, I I play one. And then when I kind of burn out on it, I switch to another one. So I rotate those three. I don't use them in conjunction with each other. HK says, hey, Phil, could you please outline all the bad things that happen to acoustic guitars in hot UK weather? Uh, okay, my guitar plays buzzy like sitar. Is it the truss rod? Question mark. What else uh, to look for? Well, first thing, sure, with an acoustic guitar, because there's not a whole lot going on, if you're getting a lot of buzz... Um, it's absolutely could be the neck. Uh, you want to make sure the neck has some relief in it. So definitely check the relief and make sure that that's a thing. Now, of course you want to check the saddle to make sure it's not too low, but, um, that's something I would definitely, uh, check is like I said, make sure it has some relief. And then at that point, if you think the relief on the neck is fine on the acoustic, now you want to make sure the saddle is the proper height. And so you can shim that up and that, uh, it's pretty easy. Acoustic guitars, um, when they're they either need a little adjustment or need a lot. So that's why, like, that's what, one thing I love about acoustic guitars. They're either, it's either a quick fix or it's going to be a nightmare. And although I don't like the nightmare part, most of the time it's a quick fix. And like I said, Um and you're talking about in heat and stuff and weather, with acoustic guitars, the neck movement is more, is more consistent issue uh, with acoustic guitars. The necks move a lot. So it, tightening the truss rod and relieving the truss rod, loosening it are common. Um, Mike my coffee but he's coffee with a y at the end says for the coffee club thanks for all you do thank you i appreciate the coffee club you know when i was in uh, moab uh you know my wife and i are not into souvenirs and we walked into a shop to get something to drink and they and my wife and she saw coffee beans and she's like do you guys roast your own coffee and they're like yeah so we bought two bags of coffee and i'm drinking one right now this week and I, i love that um it's, uh, it's a new thing that we start doing. I, I really enjoy a lot is when we go places, um, I like to uh, buy a bag of coffee from a local roaster. It's been really fun doing that. The only downfall has been <laughs> is sometimes you you like it so much you contact them later to ship it and they don't ship. But um, but still fun. Uh, thank you, Mark Hall, for the super chat. He just did a super chat. Uh, Audio Acrylics says, Hey, Phil, thanks to you and the community, I left 25 years. Wait, I left 25 years cooking over... Hold on a second. I got to read this again. He says, thanks to you and the community, I left 25 years cooking over the pandemic and found a place I love in Mesa Boogie and recently got promoted to line tech. Oh, he left cooking. Okay, I get it. So he was cooking for the last 25 years. And now he's found a place. I lo- okay, and I recently got promoted to Line Tech. I owe it all to community. So he's working at Mason Boogie now. That's awesome. That's great. You know, you know what's funny is uh, I know it kind of is kind of hard to you know I know you're typing on your phone and I'm reading stuff kind of wacky too. But what I love about that is, um, you know, like I said, I'm a transplant is how I look at it. I I had kind of like I said I got out of the army and I went down another world of corporate world. And then I came to back to music and I got back into the music. And what's funny about this is, is I know the reason I'm telling you this, I know it's scary when you change. Like to me, it was a big deal. Like it was like so, so scary <laughs> to go. How am I going to how is this going to be? I, I already know what I you know, I've been doing the other thing for a while. And and now what's great is and I'm pra- I'm, I'm be curious to see how you feel like I don't hate my old life. I don't hate the other job. I don't hate the other thing I did. I don't go, oh, this is so great. And the other thing was horrible. I think I like the other thing and I like this more. So hopefully you have the same kind of situation that you like this more. Um, But that's pretty cool to work for Mesa Boogie. I'm in, I'm really interested in the new Mesa Boogie uh, amps that they just came out with. Those are definitely on my radar for sure. So maybe I'll get lucky. I'll get one that you worked on. Uh, Meester did a, a super chat sticker. Thank you for the sticker. I appreciate that. Plaster something. <laughs> it says, uh, Populous says, hey, Phil, I received my Valiant mini bass yesterday. Wow, that what a fantastic instrument. So grateful to have it. Mine is so light. They're all light, so that's what's great. Notice I didn't say the weights on the bases, and that's because we'd worked on that. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. He says, uh, do you know what strings are on it? Thank you so much. So um, it depends on if it came straight from Valiant or it came from us. So when we got them, we took the strings off and we put other strings on them. Um, and, uh, we went with a set of, I think we did Ernie balls cause it was, we didn't have a whole lot of choices on the, the, the scale length for those strings. So, um, but, uh, what's nice is yes. The reason they're all light is the original prototype. Uh, one of the patrons bought the prototype from me the one we were working on, so I could free up this, the cash to, to buy one of the actual production ones. I wanted one of the production ones, the ones you guys got too. And um, and what happened was the original was ash and it was really heavy. So I told him, I said, hey, we got to get this weight down. So we went with Alder and that's how we were able to drop the weight, especially because the body size and stuff. So every one of them, we wanted to spec them out light. And so all of them are on the lighter side. Um, some of them are six pounds, but some are seven, but none of them are eight, nine pounds, none of them. So they were all very light. So um, and, uh, I thought that was going to be a thing. I thought we were going to be in to have to weigh them all, but no one really asked. And I knew deep down, I'm like, they're all light. So we're all good. Cause we, we checked them all. Um, and, uh, I'm glad you like it. It's a fantastic instrument. They did a fantastic job. It was, it's, it's like I said, no, no, one I think got one didn't say that it wasn't super quality. And I think that's what the, the whole point was. And I think I've said this before, you can get short scale bases, but to me, it seems like it's harder to make a short-scale bass good than it is a regular-scale bass. So that's why doing it this short, 27-inch scale, was super short. So they have to make really, really... Every decision has to be important, and that's what those guys did. They did everything the right way. on Neck uh, did the right hardware. They did everything the right way. The Smelly Cats Jazz. Hey, what's up? He says, how you doing, Phil? I'm doing great. He says, are you playing the Ibanez you got from Sweetwater? It seems like a good candidate for the Evertune. Um, it's behind me right now. I have not really, oh, it's right there. I have not really played it very much. Um, but that's not for any the reason. Like I said, I've been traveling. I travel a lot right now. I th- uh, so you guys know I'm, I'm gone most of the time I go out and then I'm back to you guys every Friday. I'm back here, but I'm actually going and doing stuff and then I come back. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff going on in the behind the scenes of the YouTube world. And, um, and, uh, so it hasn't been, um, Played a lot, but it is in rotation for a video to come, so I will have a video on it. It is a cool guitar. I think I don't know if I mentioned this. It was something funny. Was uh, Sweetwater shipped it to me, and they put it in a case, and uh, it's a fitted case. And when I got it, it was like I was like, oh cool. And I realized oh, when I put my PRS Mira in it, they're the exact same. The Ibanez I bought and the Mira are the exact same shape. They're the exact same guitar. <laughs> so i was like i was like well i guess i really do like that mirror because i found in fact i was looking at it and i was like man i kind of uh, like prs should make a bolt-on version of this guitar and make them they make an se mirror but they should make an se mirror like like this was 230 bucks like i think it'd be cool if prs made a 300 hundred dollar, you know 299 prs a mirror bolt-on i think it would i think it would do killer right make it in the court cortex factory but in the meantime I think the Ivan is, is, the new Mira. So I was thinking about doing, I told you guys, I don't know if I'm gonna do a deep dive or a sharpen my axe with it. If I do a sharp my axe, I'm thinking about putting in some kind of lower output Mira pickups, kind of leaning into the whole, like make it like a Mira thing. Um, the reason why, and when I say I'm thinking about it, it's because uh, which one to do is because lately, as you guys know, there's some, been some ideas on how to do some cool stuff in a giveaway. And you guys heard from earlier what the problem was right now with doing giveaways. You're bringing all the problems every time you do that. So it's been like, how are we gonna do this? So that's why I said I'm hoping that these bot problems get fixed and these scammers get fixed and then we can go back. But right now, I just feel like if I do some giveaways and videos, I'm inviting problems that, you know, like I said, you know, that maybe people get taken advantage of and have problems. So we'll, we'll figure it out. Music Therapy Laz, what's up? He says, going to miss you while I'm gone. Wrote a song about it. Goes like this. <laughs> oh, It's funny. And he put a bunch of musical notes that's funny. Uh, thanks Laz. Uh, the electric ballroom says I saw an old video where you talked about the guitar brands available in Tucson in your youth. Uh, where, were where were you shopping? Chicago store, LA music, rainbow. Sure. When, I, Oh, so he's talking about, he's asking about when I talk about the brands that you can only get in Tucson, for the most part, uh, so in Tucson, I grew up on the east side of Tucson, so there was uh, Sticks and Strings, and so we'd go to Sticks and Strings, and they would carry like St. Louis music stuff, so Aria Pro, West Westone, um, the Alvarez, obviously Crate, Ampeg. That was like the whole heart of their store. That was those brands, and and um, and then you would go to uh, uh, Guitars Etc., which is on Speedway and guitars etc was like a PV dealer and Fender. So they was that was their big thing. They would had a lot of Fender and a lot of PV. No no Gibson, no other stuff. And Ibanez, they'd have Ibanez. So it's Ibanez, PV, Fender. And then Chicago Music Store, because I remember them back, you know, anybody watching from Tucson cuz there's people in Tucson. Chicago Music Store is like this crazy old store that had everything, but it was all thrown around and crazy. You go in there and there would, I mean, there you would go in there and there'd be just everything but it was thrown in it was like a big junk kind of store um and they carried i don't even know what they carried because it was just like used and new and it was all over the place um la music I'm trying to think there was i think there was a mountain music And i think there was another one uh obviously rainbow guitars but um i i had never bought a guitar from rainbow until just recently it was my first time buying a guitar from rainbow um uh rainbow guitars they were uh they were a douchey store <laughs> back in the day. I think they actually, I think that was their goal. Um, do you guys remember, and then we'll end on this, uh, we'll end on this, because uh, I think it's kind of like a sign of the times. Hold on a second as I refresh this. Hold on. We won't end totally on this because I got two other quick super chats to do. So no more super chats, please. Um, But uh, here's what happened when I was, I think I've told the story and I feel bad if I told it before. But, um... When, um, when I turned 18, uh, I was, uh, my mom gave me some money to go buy an amp, right? It was like going to be my big deal. Like it was like graduation. It was everything. Right. And, um, and (laughs) what happened was, uh, and it was a lot of money. Like it was, I think it was, I can't remember. I want to say it was like $1,800. Like it was a lot of money. I just remember it was a big roll of hundred dollar bills. Right. And you know, and this is the thing about not only being young, but when you're young, from like you know, like in Tucson versus like growing up in you know California or New York or something like that. So what happened was, I wanted to Marshall. This was all this was it was I was in a band, I was playing in bands, and this was uh, my my grandfather had passed away. My mom inherited a little bit of money, and so one of the things that happened was she gave me this money to buy an amp. And it was because we played a show, and my guitar, the other guitar player in my band's amp was so much louder than mine. She's like, Why is his amp so much louder than yours? I couldn't even hear you. And I go, I have solid state. He has tube. She didn't know what that meant. She's like, Well, what do you need? And I go, I need a Marshall half stack. And she goes, Oh. Um, She goes, Okay. And the next day, I got this wad of cash. And I was like, Oh. And I was like, Okay. So I guess I'm getting a new amp. So I uh, got and drove across town to Rainbow Guitars. And this is why I said it's sign of the times. And, uh, I walk in and I have this wad literally in my pocket, just a wad of cash. And I walk up and there was a Marshall anniversary head. Do you guys remember the anniversary of the blue one? And it had a cabinet. And it was like, it was like that. It was that price, like $1,500 for the head and cabinet. And I was like, okay, I'm getting this amp. I'm like, so I'm standing there, right? I'm not touching. I'm just waiting for a salesman, right? Waiting for the salesman. Finally, some guy's like, you know, he's walking by and he's like, can I help you? And I said, um... I said, yeah, I want to buy this amp. And he goes, oh, well, we can't let you buy the amp unless you try it. And I go, okay, I'll try it. And he goes, ah, uh, you know, we can't have you being allowed in the store right now. So um, you'll have to come in on Monday. And he goes, because Mondays the store's closed, but it's only for appointments. And we all do an appointment. And I said, okay, I'll come in on Monday. And he goes, well, we're really, f- we're full of appointments. So we can't have you come in. And i like, okay. And, you know, I'm 18. I don't know what to do. I'm an idiot. I'm not much different now, but at least I'm around. And so I go, it never occurred to me to just pull out the wad and go, but can I give you this wad of money and take this amp? And uh, so (laughs) it didn't occur to me. I'm just sitting there with like literally, you know, like $1,800 in my pocket. And I go, okay. So he walks away. and I'm like, like like I said, I don't know why to this day, I guess just young and dumb, I just didn't think like I could just wheel it over to the counter and throw cash. I wasn't going to say no, And I, but at the time I didn't know. So I went and got in my car and I drove back to my side of town, because they're on the other side of town, and uh, I went into the other music store, which is Sticks and Strings, and I walked in and they had a crate half stack, a stealth. And they had it for the, it was the same price. And I go, I, I go, hey, I want to buy that half stack. And they're like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so I, I, uh, for the same price, uh, I got two 412 cabinets and a hundred watt stealth head, which is a great amp. A lot of a lot of you guys know the stealth, uh, crate is one of the only, one of the few good ones. They made some, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so that's how I ended up with a crate full stack tube head. Uh, and because, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I'm only telling you this story is, is those are the stories that, and I've talked about like my first time I took my guitar for repair. Those are the stories that helped me when I decided to open a store. What I was after, I was, I was like, man, I just want to be a store, and just like now, I want to be a place where we can talk about gear, and there's no pretentiousness, there's no this stuff. I go because it was just a different time back then, you know, the don't touch stuff, which now is like that, but it's I think it's hard for anybody uh that knows the guitar center where you can walk in and just touch everything or knows the new world where you can order stuff online to 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 know it was just a different world back then (laughs) and some of it still exists now I've walked into stores now and this there's some stores across this country you walk in man they just reek of that old vibe and um and uh yeah. So that's, uh, like I said, that was the, uh, the only funny, uh, there's actually more to the story. There's actually more to the story. So fast forward, uh, obviously I'm, that was 18, right? So fast forward years and years later, and I have the store, I'm at the NAM show and my Fender rep and I are talking, we're walking down the hallway at the NAM show and we're talking and the manager of Rainbow, not the owner, uh, the owner, uh, the manager, he's uh, there. And then uh, my rep goes, uh, hey, Phil, do you know do you know uh, this guy? And I didn't know him. He goes, oh, he's the manager at Rainbow Guitars. And I said, oh, yeah. And he goes, and then he goes, Phil, like, (laughs) because he doesn't know, the rep goes, Phil used to live in Tucson when he was a kid. He probably went to your store all the time. And I said, he's like, oh, yeah. And I go, yeah. And uh, he goes, oh, so do you you know our store? I said, yeah, I tried to buy a Marshall once with cash and you guys didn't want to sell it to me. And he goes, that sounded like us. (laughs) <laughs> and then we all laughed and then he basically told me yeah we were kind of jerky back in the day <laughs> so i'm like great great that's what i felt like, like i said i felt a little better like okay at least they knew it because i never knew to this day i'm like i just don't know why they were acting that way obviously i know better now I didn't, they didn't think i had the money to buy the amp that's what they were doing they were just basically trying to get me to leave because they didn't think I had the money so but little do they know you should always look at the big bulge in somebody's pocket. and Maybe there's cash there. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this Friday. As always, it's it's a highlight of the week for all of, for me, for all of us, hopefully. I can say for all of you. No, for all of us. Uh, and uh, I will see you guys next Friday at 3 o'clock. Look for the videos between the next week. Hopefully, uh, I'll get contacted in the winter. We'll get this pedal. Otherwise, we'll give it away next week. But I think he'll contact me. And uh, as always, uh, thanks for your, so much for your time. Until next time. Know your gear.